right, man. Good morning, church. And uh, it is great to be with you. And I get to say whatever I want to say, and then I'm leaving. And uh, so I'm not worried about the elders or the leadership group. I'm just going to say whatever I want to say today. No, I'm not going to do that. Proverbs teach too much about prudence and being cautious. And, amen. Uh, let's go to the Father in prayer. Uh, God, we're so thankful that uh, death for a true disciple and follower of Jesus uh, is just the beginning. And uh, that one day uh, we'll be with you, we'll worship you, we'll glory in you, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk with the ancients, we'll go from one uh, gold road to the next, just having great fellowship. We won't have to worry about rest or anxiety or our souls being restored or healed. And uh, we can't thank you enough, Jesus, for your sacrifice and most importantly, your resurrection. Pray that uh, you be glorified, Jesus, that you be lifted up this morning, that uh, your words will come forth, uh, the, the stories in the Bible, how they uh, really motivate, encourage, inspire us, keep us holding on, and even not just that, but to thrive and flourish. So in your son's name we pray, amen. amen. So uh, before I get started, I, I do want to give some thanks to God and to some individuals real quick. And, and certainly uh, I want to thank my family, uh, my four daughters, Ashley, Danae, Deja, and Tony. Um, I have taken them over a lot of the United States. And at this juncture, they just think, where is this man going now? Uh, but they continue to trust God enough to follow me. And uh, then most importantly, uh, I want to thank my wife. Uh, besides God and Jesus, she has changed my life more than anybody else. And uh, I wouldn't be the man that I am uh, without her. And so for that, I'm very thankful. I'm really thankful for uh, my spiritual family. I was converted in Illinois and the church there in Champaign. Uh, I uh, was in Chicago, and there's great brothers and sisters in Chicago that we love dearly. And uh, then we lived in Los Angeles, and there are many people there that we love. And so I look forward to going to conferences uh, because I get to reunite with so, so many friends. And, uh, and then I want to thank you, North River. Uh, you mean the world to my family. Uh, for two of my daughters, this is their spiritual home. This is where they were converted. And if nothing else, your prayers had a tremendous impact. And uh, for that, we're so ever grateful. And uh, this will always be home. Uh, we're just three hours away. So I can always come down or you can always come up. And, uh, and then I just want to thank God for Jesus. And that's who I want to hold up today. And prayerfully that, and all that I talk about, uh, that's, that's who will come forth. It's Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our friend, our brother, uh, our master. Uh, this morning, I want to talk about dreams. I want to talk about dreams. And I want to talk about you fulfilling God's dreams for your life. And if you've lost your dream, preferably you'll be inspired to focus back on it again or find the one that God really wants you to have. But I, I want to talk a little bit about fulfilling God's destiny for your life. 
And so I, I think a great dreamer is Joseph. Amen, church? And so if you would, turn with me over to uh, chapter 37. And uh, beginning in uh, verse 1. And as you're turning there, uh, my next spiritual family, in terms of where we're going to live, will be Knoxville. And uh, I've had many of you ask me, are you guys excited? We are ecstatic. We're so excited to go to Knoxville. We've fallen in love with the church. Uh, I'm learning the back roads. I'm getting used to seeing cows everywhere once in a while. And uh, we're so excited to go to Knoxville. Uh, and uh, we can't wait to see what God is going to do there. But I'm so thankful. We're building some great relationships with the leadership group there and, and the saints. They've been so supportive of Sharon and I and believed in us so much. And keep Knoxville and uh, the Ivy family in your prayers. And we pray that we can bring much glory to Jesus. So dreams, Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob, Joseph, a young man of 17 was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Belah and the sons of Zippah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. You ever felt that way towards somebody? I know you don't want to say that if you're a Christian, right? <laughs> Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. You gotta love the teen ministry. <laughs> his brother said to him do you intend to reign over us will you actually rule us and they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers listen he said I had another dream and this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. I think God wants us to dream like that. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Lot there for a parent. So, few people in the Bible suffered more injustice than Joseph. Yet God was at work orchestrating every detail of his journey. Decades later, Joseph finally realized what God had been doing. Sometimes you don't see the big picture, right? I certainly didn't. After 13 years of slavery, can you imagine going into slavery at 17 by your not only physical family, but your spiritual family? You got some attitudes with some brothers and sisters in church? Try Joseph. 
Joseph was finally released to stand before Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, to interpret the king's troublesome dreams. And you can read on in the story, Genesis 41, 1 through 40 talks about that. Because Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph's wisdom and integrity, he appointed him second in command or prime minister of the land of Egypt. You got to say wow, church. Say wow. There are many parallels between the lives of Joseph and Jesus. Both were rejected because Joseph dreamed that he would rule over his brothers and because his father reserved a special love for him, the brothers were inordinately jealous. See, the thing that fascinates me, many of these uh, aspects of Joseph's journey is fascinating to me. It's one of my favorite stories. But this is just not his physical family. This is the church. Jesus also came to his own people only to have them turn against him. John 1 verse 11. Jesus knew what it was to be despised and rejected. Isaiah 53 3. Both Joseph and Jesus were sold for silver. The Islamites paid 20 pieces of silver for Joseph. Many years later, Judas would receive 30 pieces of silver for turning over Jesus to the religious authorities. Matthew 26, 14 through 16. One significant difference, however. While Joseph sold, was sold against his own will, Jesus chose to become a servant and die on the cross. Pain for mine and your and the world's sins. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 talks about that. Both Joseph and Jesus forgave. Joseph forgave his brothers for their abominable actions and treated them with kindness rather than exercising his position and authority to punish them. We'll talk more about our relationships in the church, let alone what we need to be to the world. But I'm convinced more than ever, it's going to be our unity, our relationships, our love with one another, that the world is going to say, whoa as we continue to look at the times that we're in. Come on, young man. Jesus fit, I like that, thank you, brother. <laughs> you find that in Genesis 50, 11 through 21. Jesus was ridiculed and tested throughout his ministry and finally scorned, beaten, and murdered, but far from holding a grudge. You ever held a grudge? Still holding it? It's tighter? Loser, in the church, out of church, Jesus was far from holding the grudge. Can you imagine that? His sole purpose was to offer his perfect life as a sacrifice so that God would not hold our sins again. You walk in here today, you think about your week. You think about your morning coming into church and Jesus has not held your or my sins against me. It's amazing. All right. All right. Say that. 
easy. And you're going to leave here today and you're going to sin again. And he's not going to hold it against you. What a motivator. You're talking about love compelling you. And the world is desperate for love. Desperate for true love. You find out in 2 Corinthians 5.19. Finally, God used both Joseph and Jesus to deliver his people. Second in command to Pharaoh himself, Joseph would be entrusted with the responsibility for distributing the uh, scarce food supply. And God would also use Joseph to save his own family. 17-year-old said, you're going to bow down? Remember that? Hundreds of years later, Jesus came to free us from the one obstacle that stood between us and eternal life with him. You can read that in Romans 5, 1 through 5. So here we are today. What about you? What about me? Are you and I going to let God fulfill his destiny for his purposes in your life? Because you got a choice in the matter. This is not a salvation message. This is a flourishing, thriving, being all that you can be for God message. You got a choice in the matter. You're making choices right now. Man, not your dreams, not your destiny that you want, God's dreams, God's destiny for your life, for his purposes. So I think the first thing that has to happen, and just to share some practicals, turn over to Acts in chapter 2. So I'm a pretty simple man. You got Jeff, who's an Ivy Leaguer, and you got Douglas, who's a great teacher, and you got Tom, who's from that great institution of the University of Florida. <laughs> but I was told a long time by great brother Bruce Williams, he said, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, stupid. So that's what I'm going to try to do. Acts in chapter 2. And in verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So if we're going to let God use us for his dreams and his purposes, I think one of the first things is that we got to put, if we have it, Jesus on his Lord. Lordship. Loveship. I'm turning myself in. This may be your first time coming out. You may be a perpetual visitor. It's time for you to turn yourself in. Like, you know, we try to make surrendering to God mystical and magical, right? But when you're walking beside somebody, you know whether or not you're walking with somebody, right? 
You know whether or not you're walking with God. I'm not talking about having some God moments. I'm talking about having a God life. So we got to turn ourselves in. We, we got to surrender. The other practical is we got to maintain the heart and attitude of what shall we do if you have made Jesus Lord of your life. I don't know if you're like me, but there are times in my journey with Jesus, I was no longer saying, what shall I do? I was telling God what I'm going to do. Where are you? Teen, campus, single, young family, young married with no kids, married with grown children, empty nesters. Where are you? Do you still have the same at? What shall I do, Lord? Or, this is what I'm going to do, God. I'm old. I've been around a while. This is what I'm going to do. This is how I want to do it. Think about it. So God's destiny is a long distance race where endurance is the key. And on the journey, we get weak in body and in mind sometimes. I love that the brothers and sisters had that, that healing conference. I'm a therapist by trade. I love that stuff. I hurt when I get in sessions talking about people's tumultuous lives, but man, to see the change and then find hope, there's probably one of the most fulfilling things for my wife and I. But we get, we get weak in body and mind sometimes. We get sick and tired. We get sick and tired of being sick and tired. We go weary from a tiredness that often is not physical. Sometimes we get emotionally, mentally, or spiritually weary. Circumstances we thought would have been resolved years before may continue to haunt us. Sometimes we feel like we don't have anything to give, even to Jesus. We're given all that we have and we ask ourselves, what more do my children want? What more does my spouse want from me? What more does my employer, my teachers, my parents, my friends expect from me? Meanwhile, life goes on leaving us feeling both overwhelmed and underwhelmed. Overwhelmed by mounting pressures because life and livelihood have to be maintained. Underwhelmed because nothing seems to be changing for the better. God's destiny is a distant place that seems unreachable. So I'm just going to settle for my dreams. And you may be a very successful person right now, but I bet you they don't compare to the dreams and destiny that God holds for you. You know, it takes determination to continue operating in the day-to-day -day while keeping a healthy focus on Jesus' destiny for your life. Help yourself develop connections with people who are already at or near the place you want to be. There's a lot of brothers and sisters in here that are near or at the place you want to be. Learn from them because being around them can help you stay focused on what you're making sacrifices for and why you're enduring the struggles you're enduring. You can't go from slave to prime minister in one swoop. That's America. We want to go from slave 
where Joseph was, to prime minister. Forget all that stuff in between. I don't want none of that. Just slave, boom, prime minister. Turn me over to Ephesians in chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and beginning in verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Here's the thing. You can't skip what's in between being a slave and a prime minister because Jesus is trying to transform you into his liking. And to prepare you for the destiny and dreams that God has for you, it's going to take a little time. I know you want to think you're really godly. I know I want to think I'm really Jesus-like. But he's got to work on us. God is committed to maturing you and me. You know, uh, our society is big on being real and being authentic and not being fake and being who you want to be. You don't want to be who you want to be. You being who you want to be is real messy. But here's what I've learned. The more God comes after me and I'm surrendered to him transforming me more into the likeness of his son, the more authentic I can get. See, I think Jesus wear cool hats. I do. I think Jesus loves earrings. I think Jesus had the coolest wool clothing that could ever be found in all of the Middle East. You say, no, Anton, that's not true. They didn't wear hats like that. Here's the thing. What makes God's church so special is that there are a variety of Jesuses. Stop trying to put each other in a box or a label and learn to love one another. And you know what? Man, you'll see all kind of Jesus. Jesus ain't got nothing, no problem with tattoos. The millennials, they like to wear tattoos. What's wrong with a tattoo? My daughters come home with one tattoo every year. I'm like, what's that? What's that one mean? Oh, that means it's a compass on her back and it's an adventure and I don't know where I'm going next with God. Okay, roll with it. You want to be authentic? You want to be real? I'm not talking about being black or being white or being Hispanic or being Colombian or being Middle Eastern. I'm talking about being like, you'll be really authentic. You'll have your own style. You'll have your own swag. You'll have your own convictions. And you know what? It'll be beautiful. Amen. 
People who love what they do or are successful and tend to enjoy establishing relationships with serious mentees. They love to share stories of their setbacks and successes, their trials and triumphs. They want to encourage a protege to keep getting better at the gift. Mentors can often advise you regarding actions that may not be productive payoff. They may be able to help you recognize a dead-end employment situation or tell when it's time to let a business relationship go. Sometimes the best hello to a new opportunity is the goodbye you gave to a dead situation. So here's the thing. Mentee, protege, mentors, discipler, life coach, career, I do all that. But I love what it says when you're looking for people that are pursuing Jesus' destiny and God's dreams. They love to share their stories of their setbacks and successes, their trials and triumphs. See, I think we got a big challenge in front of us of learning how to be vulnerable. Some of you not only don't like being vulnerable, you hate it. You think it makes you weak. And I, I think we've got some growing to do in terms of the shallowness of fellowship on a Sunday. And I'm not saying, well, so Anton, you want me spilling my guts to everybody I see when I walk into church on Sunday morning? No. I'm not. But for instance, with our practice, many brothers helped me. Steve Brand and John Schmidt, Kevin Eatman, Mike Wyatt, Tom Brown, Bob King, Greg Dillon. Greg was the first brother I actually sat down with Shannon and I when we came and said, okay, Anton, what's your dreams? You remember that, Greg? What do you want to do? I was fired up. First Peter 2.17, you don't, you don't have to turn there. Paraphrasing, it says, love the brotherhood. I got a question for you. Yes, sir. You love the brotherhood? I ain't talking about coming to Wednesday and coming to Sunday. I'm talking about getting in each other's lives and intimately knowing them from all races and backgrounds and perspectives and situations and lifestyles. Are you, have you gotten uncomfortable yet? See, when's the last time somebody that is not in your comfort zone been all up in your business? If I had all my friends come up here just in North River, it looked like a rainbow coalition. And I'm not talking, hey, how you doing? I'm great, awesome, see ya, bro. <laughs> I'm talking brothers that know pains that I've gone through, challenges with my daughters, my marriage, my father, I did that on purpose, y'all didn't realize that? How intimate are you with people that are not like you? How many friends you got that are not like you in the church? 
I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about people that you call in the midnight hour when you're scared, you're afraid. I think that's what Jesus wants. I like that. You want to come to Knoxville with me? You, you come on to Knoxville with me. I'm from St. Louis. The dread of failure leads to a safe success. Philosophy to ensure that no mistakes will be made, no risks are taken. Turn me over to Matthew in chapter 14 and we'll begin to bring this in for a landing. Matthew chapter 14. And before we read there, the dread of failure leads to a safe success philosophy to ensure that no mistakes will be made, no risks are taken. Following Jesus' destiny for your life eludes those who live that way. That's ironic considering our regrets in life don't come from failing. They come from not trying. Destiny seekers for Jesus must be willing to take some faith risk. Matthew 14, verse 27. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. When was the last time you walked on water? You know, I had some of you come up to me and say, wow, we didn't know this was happening. We didn't, we didn't know you were going to Knoxville. And da, da, da. We didn't know it was happening. <laughs> I didn't apply for the position in Knoxville. I went down to Knoxville as a therapist. That started in January. Here we are, June, and God has asked us to lead a church. When's the last time you walked on water? When's the last time you activated your faith? I say this to many of the brothers on staff, man, to him who's given much, much is expected. North River, we have much. But when's the last time, teens, singles, and all these other stages of life, because I ain't going to try to cover them again. <laughs> you walked on water. Everybody looks at verse 30. Oh, but he sank it in. When did you last walk on water? <laughs> Some of those risks will never pay off, but others will succeed. And a few will succeed beyond your wildest imagination. Destiny seekers for Jesus possess what has been labeled the indomitable human spirit. The world just steals all this stuff from the Bible. It's nothing new under the sun. A contemporary phrase that expresses this sentiment is, you can't keep a good man or woman down. I say you can't keep a good man of God or woman of God down. Going where Jesus' destiny calls means trying again after failure. Let's be like Joseph and Jesus and fulfill his destiny for our lives. I love you guys. Thank you very much. <laughs>